welcome to eConversations. I'm your host, Dr. Dan Sutter of the Johnson Center for Political Economy at Troy University. The digital age has created new threats to our system of patents and copyrights, which serve to protect intellectual property. Intellectual property rights have become an important political issue, while others argue that patents and copyrights have completely outlived their usefulness and should be abandoned. Many people believe legal protection is necessary for innovation, and yet for decades, the world of fashion has created an enormous creativity and innovation, even though fashion designs do not enjoy copyright protection. Joining me to talk about the contributions and costs of patents and copyrights to our economy, and also what lessons we can learn about innovation from fashion design, is my guest today, Dr. Edward Lopez of the Western Carolina University, where he holds the BB&T Distinguished Professorship of Capitalism. Ed, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Dan. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, Ed, Ed and I have uh, been friends for many years. We've mm -hmm. uh, co-authored a paper, and just to tell uh, our viewers a little bit about you, you're an author of over 20 articles in, in professional journals and uh, of two books, one of which, <laughs> this book here, Mad Men, Intellectuals, and Academic Scribblers, I think is, has been extremely well received and reviewed. It uh, uh, talks about the uh, public choice theory and how uh, political ideas translate into pl policies and mm -hmm. policy change. Mm -hmm. That's right. Ed, well, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Dan. Yeah. Well, just to get started here, uh, people often talk about intellectual property. I'm not sure maybe all of our viewers know exactly what we mean by this idea of intellectual property. What are some examples of, of intellectual property? Well, typically you're talking about, as you mentioned with the intro to my book, co-authored with uh, Wayne Layton, uh, we're talking about the production of ideas mm -hmm. in general. And uh, a, with intellectual property uh, is the notion that someone who produces an idea might be able to take uh, ownership over that idea. Mm -hmm. And um, one you know, pretty fundamental um, way to distinguish between uh, this thing that we're talking about with ideas is ideas that get um, expressed in something tangible, in a tangible form, like words on a page. Uh, versus ideas that uh, need to be expressed in the product themselves. And so um, creative expression tends to get protected by an area of law called copyright, and then these uh, ideas for production get protected by uh, patent. There are a couple other areas of IP law, uh, but that's basically what we're talking about with intellectual property is the production of ideas and um, the question whether uh, the, the producer of that idea uh, it gets a property interest in that. Well, if we're talking about things like uh, new inventions or technologies, mm -hmm. as well as like books, and I'm sure like music or other uh, creative activities, mm -hmm. these would all seem to be things that contribute pretty significantly both to our uh, physical and material progress mm -hmm. in society and, and to our intellectual, or intellectual emotional well-being as well. So it sounds like intellectual property is pretty important. Well, I think that's right. Yeah, ideas make the world a better place. Mm -hmm. uh, and that is uh, ideas for goods and services to make um, you know, our lives uh, more productive, more convenient, uh, more enjoyable. Um, also ideas of, uh, in the creative world, making our, our, our lives more, um, more uh, able to be flourishing in our lives and mm -hmm. enjoying the arts and so forth. Uh, for all these reasons across the board, uh, ideas play this central role in uh, the human condition. Mm -hmm. Well, we've mentioned that patents and copyrights help uh, establish some property rights over these intellectual con or ideas or intellectual contributions. Uh, 
What's sort of the economic rationale? There's, a, there's an important role that these uh, protections play in our society. So what's the economic rationale or what's the economic role that uh, patent and copyright protection would play in our uh, economy? Okay. Great question. It's a, it's a big question, yeah. too. Uh, and it, it ultimately involves a, a trade-off. Um, and that trade-off is we would like to have more innovation of ideas in society for all the reasons we've already talked about, the, the benefits that they carry. Um, and uh, in order to sort of promote the innovation of new ideas, um, the argument is we ought to impart upon the, the producers of those ideas uh, this, this property interest, this property right over those ideas. And so in copyright law, that means that my co-author and I have, uh, and actually our publisher has the copyright, uh, copyrights over uh, mm -hmm. the book here. Um, <clears throat> and uh, the argument is that in the presence of copyright law, we'll have more uh, books like this, more books that en enrich the human condition than we would otherwise. Um, and that's the sort of one side of the trade-off here, is that the, it, it giving, giving authors and inventors uh, the exclusive rights to their to their uh, pro produced ideas, that promotes innovation, and that's that's the good side of the of the trade-off. And to some extent, that can be necessary because ideas are so easy to sort of like copy mm -hmm. or share with others. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. if I get an important idea from you, I can just turn around and share it with somebody else right. as well. Yeah, that's and, right. You know, yeah, certainly in science, there, there are problems of you know somebody trying to claim credit for coming up with that idea, but simply the economic value of mm -hmm. I, you come up with some brilliant, uh, you know, you know, some brilliant uh, invention like Thomas Edison, for instance, I get the idea from you and then I can turn around and sell it. Right? Yeah, that's right, yeah. I mean, ideas are different. Unlike an acre of corn or unlike a run of automobiles off the assembly line, once those things are produced and if those things get consumed by somebody, no one else can, can, can consume that same acre of corn. No mm -hmm. one else can drive that same car that comes off the line. But with ideas, for example, books, uh, somebody could, for example, photocopy the pages. Somebody could, for example, you know, digitize them and make them available on the internet. Internet, and what that means, Dan, is that you can read the book, and uh, you know, per, the next person can read the book, and the next person all the way down the line without interfering with each other's abilities to read the book. Very much unlike the acre of corn. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, uh, recognizing that that um, that attribute of ideas that they that people can consume them without interfering with other people's uh, abilities to also consume them. Uh, that's also behind this economic rationale for uh, copyrights and patents. We need that exclusive right in order to promote the innovation of ideas. We need the ability for the copyright holder to prevent the photocopiers, right. to prevent the digitizers from going around and spreading copies of the promoted idea because uh, why would you have any motivation to write uh, the great American novel, for example, if you know that as soon as you're done, um, interlopers can come in and take your, uh, your novel, uh, make photocopies of it, and start selling it uh, right underneath your nose? Mm -hmm. Under that reasoning, uh, the argument is we would have far less innovation of ideas absent the copyright law. Yeah. And there, there's also just, since these are property rights, there is sort of like a ethical element of ownership. I mean, if, if you or I were to build like a chair or something, you, you know, we could keep possession of that, mm -hmm. but we would want to keep possession of it until we decided mm -hmm. to sell it or something like that because 
it's ours, we built it, it's, mm -hmm. it's my product and you can't take it with, from me unless I decide mm -hmm. to, to give it or trade it to you. Sure. And uh, there's some element, of, some uh, same element of this with your you know, book or our other intellectual mm -hmm. products as well, right? Sure, I, I, I want to make a distinction there with your example though. I mean, certainly if you bring home some lumber and you make a chair out of it, uh, uh, both the ethics and the economics of that scenario make sense for you to be able to establish rightful ownership over that chair. But do you have the rightful ownership over the idea of a chair? Can I go home and with some lumber on my part and create a chair of my own, or does that interfere with no. your um, with the process that you went through in making your chair? I think that's an important distinction to keep track of. Yeah. It's going to come up when we get to talking about fashion and when we get to talking about some other uh, industries. And it also brings up the other side of this trade-off uh, that's involved with the economics of uh, providing intellectual property law. And so uh, think about this phrase that, that, that I've been using, exclusive right. Uh, you, if you produce the great American novel, you then, under copyright law, have the exclusive right to, to bring that to market. Uh, exclusive right you can think of as synonymous with a single seller or a monopoly. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, the, the sort of other edge of this intellectual property argument from an economics point of view is you're going to have limited access to the great American novel right. under copyright compared to the absence of copyright. So the trade-off is we have copyright law there in order to promote people writing the great American novel, but um, the fact that the copyright is there means that access to the great American novel once it's written is going to be limited. Mm -hmm. And so that's the big trade-off there, is you have this incentive on the one side to innovate and you have this uh, uh, access problem on the other uh, once the innovation is created. And so uh, where it comes down is like a lot of economic arguments, it's this balancing of the trade-off mm -hmm. and where, where we see um, uh, innovators really responding to the exclusive right and where we see uh, that exclusive right interfering relatively little with access, that's where you have the strongest argument in place for IP law. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, where you have uh, innovators not very responsive at all to the exclusive right, maybe they're maintaining their creativity for other reasons besides the copyright law, uh, maybe somebody just has the great American novel you know, in their belly and they can't prevent themselves, they can't help but uh, clicking the keys out and getting it down on paper, uh, or maybe they have other ways of making money. Right. If, if, if the innovation itself is not very responsive to the presence of copyright law, then all you're really doing is limiting access with the copyright law. And in those um, scenarios, the, the economic argument for IP protection begins to break down. So we do have this this trade-off, and I think you know, intellectual property is one area where I think a lot of free market economists even disagree with each other. Sure. Just, uh, you know, they come down on different sides of this sure. trade-off, mm -hmm. and certainly uh, a trade-off that has been around for a long time. And in fact, uh, copyright and patent protection was authorized in the U.S. Constitution. Mm -hmm. So, you know, back in 18, uh, 1787, when uh, our founding fathers were getting together to draft the Constitution, they thought it was important enough to put into the Constitution mm -hmm. there. So these are not new issues that we're grappling mm -hmm. with here today. That's right. I think the phrasing in Article 1, Section 8 is to, pro to promote the sciences and useful arts. And mm -hmm. originally, um, the types of things that were covered were, were maps, uh, were uh, 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 maps of ocean, line, okay. ocean um, shores and so forth mm -hmm. that were uh, useful. 
uh, and then you know it expanded to other areas uh, uh, over the years and decades. Uh, the Copyright Act did. Mm -hmm. In recent years, there seems to have been a, a new phenomenon that's uh, arisen, and that's uh, possibly socially unproductive uh, litigation over patent infringement or mm -hmm. copyright infringement mm -hmm. that some uh, commentators think are actually slowing innovation. Sure. And, and so it might, mm -hmm. these might be thought of as some of the additional side effects, because we've always had this trade-off between trying to encourage innovation versus uh, uh, giving somebody a monopoly uh, mm -hmm. control or, or, a, or limiting access to the innovation. But we've gotten this, this new wave of, of litigation over uh, patents and, and copyrights, and the phrase, a patent troll, mm -hmm. has emerged, and it certainly mm -hmm. suggests some further activity that's not helping our economy. Can you describe a little bit what's going on with this litigation? Well, I think so. Uh, and and it, it comes back to this um, economic argument, um, wanting to provide an, uh, the incentive to innovate. Mm -hmm. Well, when you, when you bring in an exclusive right, in order to provide that incentive to innovate, you're also actually in, introducing additional incentives along the way. And one is the incentive to appropriate an idea that's already uh, been produced, mm -hmm. whether by yourself or by someone else. Um, and so, for example, the Copyright Act has been extended um, most recently in 1998, before that in 1976, to cover works that had already been uh, in, in established, that had already been um, mm -hmm. uh, written or created. Uh, and so, um, think about that for a second. You have goods that are already created and you're extending the copyright protection, the duration of copyright protection over them. By definition, you're not doing anything to promote the innovation of those already created goods, but arguably you're promoting the incentive to continue investing in those goods. Uh, but but, um, but, but uh, to answer your question, you're, you're, you're also introducing this incentive to um, profit further from uh, being able to appropriate mm -hmm. the innovation that has already been existing. And so here, that, that gets to your question about patent trolls as well. And so one way to run, say, a high-tech business is to say, I'm going to innovate a new process, or I'm going to innovate a new app or a new product, and um, seek a patent over that, and then bring that to market. <clears throat> Another way, which has become more common, is to say, I'm going to buy up um, a, uh, uh, we're going to expand and merge with this other firm, because this other firm has an uh, impressive patent portfolio. And none of those patents really is um, valuable right now, but they might become valuable uh, after the next round of innovation in consumer goods, electronics, mm -hmm. or uh, what have you. Somewhere down the line, it might become valuable. And so you're purchasing the company for the purpose of maybe those patents becoming valuable in the future. And how do they become valuable? Well, another company, another startup, another app developer, what have you is using uh, the processes, using the ideas that are covered by those patents, and you say, aha, you're using my property now. It's my property because I merged with this other firm sometime back, mm -hmm. uh, and I did so for the purpose of maybe their patent would one day become valuable. Here we are at that day, and uh, there com therein comes your patent infringement suit. Mm -hmm. uh, so this is a, another type of incentive. It's not an incentive to innovate yeah. uh, or create in, in, in the patent world. It's an incentive to hoard patents for the, for the purpose of uh, punishing others when they come up with an innovation that's covered by those patents. Right. And so I guess one way to think of it is that you know, you're, you're 
have a book about public choice and a former president of the Public Choice Society, one of the, the problems is that we're never going to have, a, a, from an economist standpoint, a perfect patent law. We're going to have a patent law that's going to, copyright laws that are going to be affected yeah. by some political considerations and they're going to add some extra costs right. onto this. Right. So, but our whole patent debate and copyright debate is sort of premised on this idea that without patent or copyright protection, we would see, we would have a, a low supply of these intellectual mm -hmm. products and given how important they are for our progress and prosperity, mm -hmm. it's something we want to try to encourage. But mm -hmm. we have the interesting case of fashion, right? Mm -hmm. And fashion seems to be an exception to this. Right. So tell us mm -hmm. a little bit about how fashion operates, because it does—they don't have uh, this copyright protection. Yeah, and I think that you know the most um, sort of significant uh, point that you're making to me is that um, uh, this argument that we need intellectual property law protection in order to promote innovation—it's not a universal argument. Yeah. It's a contextual one. It's almost like a case-by-case -case one. What type of innovation are you talking about? Uh, what industry of uh, that type of innovation are you looking at? Uh, and so when it comes to certain areas, uh, you mentioned fashion. I've paid attention to the fashion industry for some time. Here's an area where fashion designers do not enjoy copyright protection. Uh, they don't enjoy patent protection. Uh, fashion labels have a little bit of uh, trademark uh, protection. Mm -hmm. uh, but for the most part, intellectual property law is, has let this market run wild. And what we've seen is, uh, contrary to the standard economic argument is an industry that lacks IP protection but is demonstrably innovative. Every year comes along new and uh, novel uh, twists on um, the designs of tops and bottoms and shoes and hats and gloves and all that other, all the other things. Uh, every year you have new designers seeking to sort of punctuate that, uh, that, that, that uh, stratosphere of elite uh, designers and sometimes uh, you see some people, um, young designers, moving up really quickly, mm -hmm. and it's because of their relative innovations. Um, we have a sort of steady stream, uh, a demonstrable steady stream of innovation in the fashion world, despite not having any IP protection. So at the very least, it's an anomaly compared to the uh, standard economic argument. But it's more than that. It actually it poses some uh, the the question of how do we account for that and. What do mm -hmm. we learn when we start to scrutinize this industry some more? You know, just to, to be clear, you did mention that they have some trademark protection. Mm -hmm. and I'm sure all of our viewers have seen some designer labels mm -hmm. or, or logos on clothes. So if you could just explain a little bit more about what is protected there about, say, you know, Ralph Lauren's polo mm -hmm. design and, mm -hmm. and what isn't protected. Well, I mentioned a little while ago that you, if you make the chair, the physical um, product that you make is yours, and it should mm -hmm. be yours. Uh, but you you don't have the rights to the idea of a chair, right? And so that partly is involved with what's going on with trademark protection in in in, um, in the fashion world. So uh, Ralph Lauren would have rights over the uh, the, the polo figure that is uh, mm -hmm. uh, embroidered into uh, that labels um, polo shirts. But they don't have, uh, they're not protected on the idea or of, a, of a polo shirt. Mm -hmm. um, the configuration of that particular type of shirt, the silhouette that it makes when it's cut, and so forth. Um, and the reason for um, pr making the logo property and not the idea of the garment is, uh, on the one hand, you want, you want consumers to be able to identify brands. 
Right. And you know, brand identification is important to things like um, what type of quality is the is the uh, garment, what, what what sort of style segment uh, is the garment in, and and what type of signals it sends. All of these things are valuable to consumers. It right. makes sense for the law to say this is a polo shirt, and other shirts cannot come and make it make themselves look like a polo shirt by stealing Ralph Lauren's polo embroidery. Right. Um, same with uh, handbag designs, and that's why uh, um, most people um, would know about the fact that there are uh, there's a there's a huge market for for imitations, mm -hmm. uh, for knockoffs, if you will. Um, you know, you have your 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 luxury brand handbags that are sold um, uh, in uh, upscale malls and airports across the world, and then you have your imitations of that, your counterfeits of that. And those are violations um, of trademark law because they're, they're, th these, these goods are presenting themselves as authentics, as the originals, um, but they're doing so uh, in, a, in a fabricated, in a false way. Um, so that's the idea behind trademark law, is to make sure that consumers aren't confused between the genuines mm -hmm. and the, uh, between genuine brands and their, and their competing genuine brands but also between genuine brands and uh, the uh, counterfeit knockoffs. So when uh, fashion designers are, are claiming that they want greater protection, of uh, what stage in sort of like the production of clothing are, are they worried about? Are they concerned about you know, ownership of these prototype de design or clothes mm -hmm. that are being worn on runways mm -hmm. at, at Fashion Week every year? Or is there something beyond that that they're concerned about? Well. Um, Part, a subset of the industry, the fashion industry, has proposed a copyright uh, bill. They proposed that the Copyright Act be extended to fashion designs. Mm -hmm. And what they proposed is that the appearance as a whole of a garment or of an ensemble be protected. And so the appearance as a whole would cover things like the particular cut, silhouette, p color palette, um, fit, and so forth. Uh, and so that if you were to um, see an original being modeled, and you would see a fake of that original being modeled, and most people's reactions would be, those look very much the same. Mm -hmm. um, this proposal to the Copyright Act would be, let's cover those cases, where most people would sort of take the, the two looks to be the same. Um, what, the, what this subset of the industry is not saying is they're not saying we need this copyright extension in order to promote innovation in fashion design. What they're saying is that we need this in order to promote fairness. Because too many of our uh, designers are coming up with new ideas. They're producing you know, beautiful uh, garments at great cost to themselves and their investors. And as soon as those uh, new designs come down uh, the runway during Fashion Week, uh, digital images of them are being zoomed around the world. And uh, production of certain of those is starting off more or less immediately. Mm -hmm. And you have this familiar tale going on of where um, uh, it's not the writer of the novel now, but it's the designer of the, of the dress now uh, that, can, that, that cannot um, sort of appropriate or cannot um, sort of uh, gain financially by their own uh, innovation, by their own hard work. And so the industry is arguing for on a basis of fairness, not the sort of typical economic um, mm -hmm. uh, uh, argument of promoting innovation. Okay. Yeah. So we talked about how it is that these uh, fashion designers are you know, people 
are trying to get into the business. They are coming up with mm -hmm. designs. They, mm -hmm. they are being uh, creative and, and, and innovative, and yet they can't patent or they can't uh, get copyright protection on the design itself. Mm -hmm. What is motivating is yes. if they're not getting a lot, a lot of money out of yeah, it. Yeah, so you might, you might ask, what are they responding to if yeah. not copyright protection? Well, I think that um, there's a couple of, of, of good answers there. One is that they have um, ways of um, gaining uh, in a monetary sense, in a monetary way. <clears throat> uh, if they become well-known as a designer, well-known enough to where they can license their designer name to mm -hmm. uh, uh, wares and products that have high markups. So for example, perfumes and sunglasses and scarves and things like that. Um, another way, uh, another type of answer to the question is um, that fashion designers, like a lot of um, uh, creators in different areas, um, they're not necessarily in it for the money. They're not in it necessarily in it to have this exclusive right to be the seller of their wares. Some of them actually uh, recognize that copying is going to happen. Some of them actually not only just recognize it, but they say this is good for me because it, it, um, it makes uh, my designs um, more, mm -hmm. have more exposure than they would otherwise. And um, so you're, you see high-end designers in the fashion world responding to other things besides the copyright protection. Mm -hmm. They're responding to the, the, the desire to be more known uh, in, a, in a sort of broad sense, get more exposure for their, their designs. Right. Um, they're, they're hoping to get uh, a, a good enough name uh, recognition behind their design company, their, their name, so that they can license their uh, name to other types of products. Mm -hmm. And then maybe most, um, you know, sort of intrinsically, uh, fashion designers are uh, oftentimes motivated to um, have uh, the esteem of other fashion designers. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is true not just in fashion, but in all, like in, in, our, in our line of work, economics. Uh, um, you know, you want to have the recognition of your peers. And so you're talking about fairly small circles of people here. Right. And uh, when you're talking about fairly small circles of experts, mm -hmm. uh, the, the very nuances of what you're doing and what advances you're making, uh, if those can be appreciated by your peers, uh, oftentimes that is the, the, the channel that, that uh, people are tapping into with their Yeah, so I mean, I think mm -hmm. this is uh, some of the A-listers sitting along the runway. Mm -hmm. And you know, mm -hmm. I guess what you're suggesting is to be re highly regarded by these folks is what the designer, the, the fashion designers ultimately maybe going yeah. after. They don't care about Congress. They care mm -hmm. about who's sitting in the front row at their fashion yeah. show. And, yeah. and to be yeah. taken seriously or mm -hmm. for them to recognize, that, oh, that's a great design or that's, that's really innovative, that's really trendsetting. And right. I guess we, we see this in other cases. I and mean, you know, we do have this open source computer co mm -hmm. code that code writers around the world will voluntarily mm -hmm. supply the, the, the code in, into, some, uh, into some of these uh, programming systems and you know, video game designers will add stuff onto video games that aren't there. Mm -hmm. and, and again, I think they're, they're going for a lot of this recognition or, or fame or, or renown or something like that, right? I think so, and I think that these, the, you know, these sorts of intrinsic motivations, they account for all kinds of um, ideas being produced. Mm -hmm. uh, just look at Wikipedia, for example. The entire thing right. is produced for this type of thing you're talking about. And in that sense, um, you know, the intrinsic motivations for creativity and for the production of ideas, those are things that this exclusive right have a hard time tapping into, mm -hmm. uh, the exclusive right that patents and copyrights. Uh, and so what I would suggest is that at least you know, when we're looking at this area of law, copyright and patent, understand that there are other motivations for creativity besides having the exclusive right.
And you know, maybe push it one step further and say maybe these areas of law need some, some looking at and, mm -hmm. and should be reformed. Um, and so maybe we don't need uh, 70 years or 90 years of copyright protection over written works in order to promote uh, right. the innovation of written works. Maybe we have just a little bit too much copyright protection uh, on the books. And maybe the patent trolls are a way to say we have too much patent uh, protection on the books mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. Well, it was a fascinating discussion. And I think, uh, how widely do you think that the lessons from fashion might have applications in other, uh, other areas? Well, I'm working on that right now. Yeah. And I'm working on implications for uh, areas that you might think of that need copyright protection, like music and film, mm -hmm. uh, as well as some others that you might not know about, uh, like magic and stand-up comedy, things that have been written on before, but I'm going to try to add my own uh, twist to them myself. Oh, yeah, very, very interesting, and, and I just love these uh, intrinsic motivations and how they, I think, often overlap with uh, our profit motives as well. Mm -hmm. So, absolutely. Well, th thanks very much for coming on the show, Ed. Thank and you. Thank you for joining us. Join us again next time for another e conversations.